salutations, dear viewer, and welcome to another episode of Indiscretion. As always, I am your host, Catherine Emily. And today, I want to talk about a question that's been on my mind more frequently lately um, as a result of recent news stories. And this is a question of when business is going to start respecting privacy. Privacy law, at least as it currently stands in relation to constitutional questions, often follows a third-party doctrine. And what this means is if you are a user of a certain web service, say Verizon, or a certain cell service, again, let's just say Verizon, and you log on to the web or check your email or, or log on to Twitter or something like that, you're creating data. And that data right now, the law says, belongs to the third party company to whom you, with whom you've contracted for the use of your service. So you have an agreement with Verizon, you pay to use their internet service. So when you create data, when you go online and conduct a search or check your email or use social media, that data belongs to Verizon. Now, whether or not this makes sense is, of course, questionable. Uh, in a recent ruling, uh, Justice Gorsuch suggested that the fact that you are the creator of that data should mean that that data belongs to you. And that seems to make sense to me. But right now, there's a third-party standard. And this, to me, means that businesses need to have more responsibility when they look at things like privacy law and when they consider the duty that they owe to their users. And this is particularly true, I think, in light of the increased social responsibility role that businesses currently uh, are desirous of attaining. If you look at recent public opinion polling, there is an increasing desire by members of the public who, when they look to a business, when they look to a brand, they're not looking just for a cheap and convenient good or service. What makes them loyal to a brand, what makes them repeat customers, is a more intimate sense of shared identity with a brand, a sense that they have the same values, that in their spare times, companies are doing things in the community that promote uh, certain values, certain ways of thinking, certain of most being that align with potential consumers. And I think this is a net positive because this is really what capitalism and what free market economics should be about. Capitalism is a way for you to live your values. If you're a producer, when you create a good or a service, you are taking ideas that you've had and you are making them tangible. And something that whatever it is you happen to believe in, whatever um, philosophical ideas, whatever moral ideas are probably the guide rail to your business. And, and a sense of yourself and a sense of what you believe in is imbued into your product. And even if you're not a producer, if you're a consumer, when you patronize a particular good or service, that is a tacit endorsement of whatever values are in that product. You're not only saying that 
you find the monetary value to be acceptable, that there is a fair value for value exchange in terms of whatever that good or service costs, but it's also an endorsement of the values that underlie the production of that product. And this is really a positive for individuals because it is more pluralistic. So in capitalism and in production, we have the ability to take abstract philosophy and make it tangible in goods or services. And whatever ideas you happen to believe in are advanced in the world that way. And when business more actively pursues this, not only just in the good or the service that it creates, but also in considering its role in the community and in pursuing certain um, objectives in the community, this is a net positive. And it's a net positive because business is pluralistic. So I fundamentally agree with everything that Ben & Jerry's stands for as a company. And as a result, I don't patronize them. But at the same time, they're still able to exist because they do have people who patronize them, who believe in what Ben and Jerry stands for as a company. And I can coexist at, with Ben and Jerry's. They support their values. I support other companies that I think are more in line with my way of thinking. And I and the people who agree with Ben and Jerry's are able to coexist in society and each live our own values. And this is a great thing for individuals. And for businesses to increasingly take on responsibilities in this regard, I think is a great alternative to government because government is not pluralistic. It is monistic. And this means that if governments laws and if government pursues ideas and ends that are based on certain value judgments and are designed to bring about a certain end that it has deemed most moral because there is implicit force in government because if you don't comply with the law then you face certain legal repercussions there really is no way to dissent so government when it pursues morality becomes tyrannous because there is no way for people who disagree to have an alternative view and to pursue that alternative view. They are forced into compliance with morality that they don't necessarily agree with. And there might be a way to dissent in the abstract philosophical sense, but there is not in real life, real world material terms. And so for business to take on a greater role of Social responsibility is the term. I don't necessarily like it because ultimately it's still about the individual and individual values and not some sort of um, uh, cohesive being that exists above us. There is a certain collective sense to the idea of social responsibility that I don't agree with. But the idea that when a business owner sees some wrong committed in the community, he utilizes the power that he has to try to bring things more in line with the values that he perceives and that he believes in. That's a good thing. So for instance, during the most recent government shutdown, a lot of restaurants a lot of restaurants went out of their way to try and help families affected by the shutdown because they thought that the political gamesmanship that was going on was wrong and was wrongly hurting families who didn't deserve to be affected by the feud between Trump 
and Democrats. And so they did things like offer free meals to people who didn't have paychecks. And this is an example of, uh, of businesses living their values and promoting their values in society and taking on a greater responsibility in the community outside of the purely transactional part of running a business and selling a good or a service. But while this, I think, is a positive direction for the country to move in because it erodes the stranglehold that government has as being a provider of goods and services for people, there is also a lack of willingness for companies who do this to accept responsibility when the going gets tough. And now I'm referring to the defaults that companies have when it comes to privacy and their, their willingness to just kind of let government in and run roughshod over privacy concerns and for them to simply hand over, um, hand over data to government bureaucrats, government agencies, and to not protect the privacy of their users. And users in this instance are, are kind of placed in a, uh, in a real bind because obviously you can't avoid using the government, but or using the government, obviously you can't avoid using the internet and using certain online service providers or cellular providers. And yet, most of these companies won't stand up for your rights. And um, what really got me thinking about this and caught my eye was a story The Hill reported on a couple of days ago. And this uh, was about uh, Family Tree DNA, which is, according to The Hill's story, one of the largest at-home DNA testing companies in the country who has agreed to allow the FBI to gain access to its database of DNA profiles. And they're doing this in order to solve violent crimes. Now, the CEO of the company said um, that this is to identify perpetrators of violent crimes and to identify the remains of deceased individuals, which seems like a laudable goal. But the way that they've done this is effectively could give FBI agents carte blanche to millions of people's DNA profiles and is potentially an end run around the warrant process. So according to the CEO of this company, he says, we came to the conclusion that if law enforcement created accounts with the same level of access to the database as the standard family tree DNA user, they would not be violating user privacy and confidentiality. Now, obviously this is ridiculous because the average user of these kinds of services wants to find out more about their genealogy and potentially wants to connect with other family members who they might not otherwise nowhere around, but because of the genetic matching that these testing results gives, creates an ability to, to find these people. I know that's what members of my family have used it for. And obviously that's not what FBI agents are going to be using this for. They're going to be using it to look at DNA profiles and determine whether or not they are relevant to any, any crimes that are on the book. And of course, 
most people will say, well, if you haven't done anything wrong, then you don't have anything to fear. But that's not the point. The, the process to get a warrant in this country is difficult precisely because government can't just willy-nilly look into your private, your private debt. The idea is that you are absolutely 100% protected against government intrusion in basically everything that you do, unless the Constitution gives government, gives the federal government the ability to be the final arbiter of certain issues. So these are the enumerated powers of the Constitution. Those are the areas where government has a right to, to make laws, to adjudicate. But other than that, government doesn't have any business doing any of these things. And so regardless of whether or not you have done something wrong, you're supposed to be protected. Even if you are suspected of having done something wrong, there is still a rigorous warrant process so that government can't just come in and investigate and, and generally meddle and stick its nose into places where it doesn't belong on a fishing expedition. And effectively, by giving FBI agents this kind of access to this kind of information, it allows fishing expeditions to occur. And the precedent that it sets is alarming for other reasons, because if this company has determined that there's no reason not to give law enforcement this kind of access, then there's no reason not to give other federal departments this kind of access. For example, perhaps um, the Department of Health and Human Services. And perhaps they might use this data because these genetic tests aren't only used to determine um, your genealogy, but also are now being used uh, for medical research and to determine your vulnerability to certain types of diseases. So perhaps then other agents of the government can come in and look at your health information and say, well, you have a genetic predisposition to this disease. And so we are going to, because you use uh, public health care and because um, your health insurance is paid for by public dollars. We have a right to tell you to meet a certain diet, to exercise, to do certain things. Now, obviously, this is all speculation, but it is within the realm of possibilities. And to pretend that this is anything other than open access to this database is, is fairly ridiculous because Yes, anyone can conceivably go and create an account with this company, but obviously the purposes for which you would be doing so are very different. I, as a private citizen, might do it, again, because I want to connect with members of my family. I absolutely would not use one of these services because this is becoming the standard. But FBI agents and law enforcement agents are, are doing it because it is effectively a way for them to data mine. And we get upset when companies like Facebook data mine, even though in their user agreement you have implicitly agreed to turn over your information uh, to be used for advertising purposes and whatever other Facebook deems it necessary. But for some reason, when the government gets involved and we start talking about things like security and things like preventing violent crime, for some reason that doesn't rise to the same standard of outrage. And, and that, I think, is just 
utterly ridiculous. And if anything, the idea that companies increasingly have more social responsibility and at the same time are being uh, receiving less and less scrutiny for doing this kind of thing, I think is just ridiculous. If companies want to take on greater social responsibility, that's a great thing for society. I think it's a great thing for um, for the individual and for individual rights because it means that government is doing less. It means effectively that if companies are more interested in what you believe in and are looking to better serve what you believe in, that's a great thing for you. It means that you're going to be able to find products that are more in line with your thinking. It's yet another way in which private business is looking to serve you, and that's fantastic. But at the same time, companies then can't turn around and say, well, we are going to just turn over access to your private data to the federal government. If they're going to care about how they interact with their consumers, if they're looking to build a, a community and not just have a transactional relationship with their business, or excuse me, if they're not looking to have just a transactional relationship with their consumers, then that needs to apply to all fronts. They can't then turn around and just turn over the data that they've collected to the federal government. Because presumably, if companies are looking to be more involved at a community level, if they're looking to play a greater role in society, then they are going to be collecting more data. So I think ultimately what we're talking about needing then, if we're going to live in a world where companies have a greater social responsibility and are collecting more and more data, which is unavoidable but also has its benefits, I think what we need to talk about is a first party standard. And this is the idea that when we're talking about privacy, when we're talking about user generated data, it means that that user owns that data. That the company with whom they have contracted to provide a service doesn't own that data. So for instance, my Verizon cell phone, because I'm the user that that's generating the data. I am the reason that Verizon creates that phone and provides that services. The actions that I take, whether it's checking my email, whether it's tweeting, whether it's making a phone call, whatever, ultimately because I am the source of all of the actions that I take on that phone, because they wouldn't exist without my effort, that means that I own that data. Verizon doesn't own that data. They're simply storing it. And, and this is, can I think in some ways be turned around on the federal government because the government tries to claim that programs like prison where they are doing mass surveillance are not a threat because even though they have access to that data and are storing that data, they are not actively searching it. They won't actively search it until they have a warrant. So let's take that line of thinking, which I actually think is completely ludicrous, of course, because you have the Fourth Amendment, which is a limitation upon government um, and is not a limitation upon private citizens. But let's take that ridiculous argument and apply it to a realm where it actually makes sense the private sphere and let's um, effectively make of third-party companies, let's make them databases. They might store that information, but 
they don't have the right to search it, to necessarily use it in the same way. It doesn't belong to them. So that would mean that they need your assent before they turn over data to the federal government. Now, obviously, if there's an active warrant, then they have to comply with that warrant. And in that case, you have to hope that the judge has applied due discretion and is assenting to a warrant that is based on legitimate and ample evidence that someone has probably committed a wrong. Now what gets tricky here is that when you sign a user agreement, you are currently signing away the rights to your data because you are using a platform which you do not own. And this is part of the rationale behind the third party standard. Third party standard. So let's take Facebook, because they've been in the news a lot lately and have generated a lot of uh, outrage over the way they have data mines and given away the information of users. What makes that okay is that Facebook is a private company and they have created the platform. It's a product of their efforts, therefore it is it belongs to them and they have the right to set the terms at which you use that. And when you sign their user agreement, you are basically recognizing this fact and are saying that because you own the platform, then anything that I do on it is your property. And now we have agencies clashing with each other. So you have Facebook, who is the owner of the platform. Their efforts have created Facebook. And then you have the users who come in and whatever content they create on Facebook is a product of their effort. And so that runs up against each other. And currently the way the law stands is that the, the battle effectively is won by the creator of the platform. But what you have to separate out, I think, is the fact that without users, Facebook becomes kind of purposeless. So yes, obviously Mike Zuckerberg has a right to uh, arbitrate Facebook. He has a right to decide the terms on which you can use it because it's his mental product, it's his ideas, it's his effort that has created Facebook and made that. So absolutely he has, it is his property and he has the right to determine how you can use it. But that product is effectively useless without third-party users. And it needs individuals to come and to interact. It needs them to generate content. It needs them to, um, to interact with each other and through those interactions to create the, um, the, the, the popularity that drives certain content to the top and makes other stuff, you know, kind of cast it into the corner of the internet because that is the reason that Facebook exists is, is to, it is a platform through which you can connect. Um, popularity is important, obviously, but none of that is possible without something external to Facebook. And the idea that Mark Zuckerberg has the right to property over Facebook is 
philosophically sound. But the idea that you then don't have a right to your own property in terms of you lose agency over your actions, that's less philosophically sound. And obviously, there's a fine line there. And, um, and certainly, we don't want to erode property rights by saying that businesses don't ultimately have agency over their own platforms. But there needs to be a recognition that they exist because of users. They exist to serve a purpose. And ultimately, without the input that those users create and the content that those users create, there is really no reason for them to exist. I mean, they would certainly still exist, but there would be less of a point to them. And the default on privacy that a lot of companies currently show, whether it's Facebook, whether it is uh, DNA Family Tree, the, the company that turned over its records to the FBI, there is not of enough of a recognition of this. There is not that respect for the agency of the individuals. And I think it kind of runs roughshod over the privacy and property rights of individuals by saying that when you come onto our platform, you lose control over the things that you say, that we own them. And, and certainly, in a certain sense, they do own them because they are the creators of the platform that has given voice to those thoughts, but those thoughts originate with the people who have written them. And, and currently, this industry practices and industry standards that these companies um, advance and, and the policies that they set don't recognize this. And I think that is a problem, particularly if companies want to be greater purveyors of value, if they want to have greater social responsibility. If that's true, there needs to be more recognition for the sanctity of the individual and, and recognition for the idea that individuals are generators of of value and that if they are going to create policies and to start initiatives that look to advance value in the community that those values are first held by individuals. It is the individual mind that conceives of value. That's where they come from. They don't come from anywhere else. So defaulting on um, unrecognizing that is ultimately incompatible with the idea that business should promote social responsibility. And that to me is part of the danger of business as social responsibility as an, uh, as an entity that advances that because it too easily promotes collectivism. And, and this, I think, Obviously, we're all very aware of tyranny in government. We know what it looks like, but we also know how to fix it. You change the law. Whereas tyranny in the private sector, when you have social media mobs, when you have social justice, and the idea that nowadays we run out of society, anyone who has in any way committed something that might even look like something that disagrees with someone else's idea, even if it was 30 years ago, back when the context was different, this I think is a problem because there are, if this gains a hold, then there is no 
straightforward way to solve this. There's no easy way to just change a law and to, in that way, um, write things. And business, yes, should be rooted in value, but we still need to maintain that pluralism. And I think the what is to be feared in companies that take on a greater social responsibility role is the idea that pluralism will be weeded out. And what makes me particular, particularly nervous about that happening is that companies currently don't have respect for their consumers as individuals. And we can see this in the way that they have such a cavalier attitude towards privacy and um, and to this, the sanctity and the agency of their users. They see their users more as, um, not necessarily as people who have control over what they create and ultimately retain their rights over the things that they say, but almost still in that transactional role. And even though, businesses are trying to branch out and they're trying to do that through social responsibility. They're doing that more in a sense of appeasing and checking certain boxes and simply um, appealing to what's most popular and not with that legitimate understanding of individuals as sovereign beings who retain rights over things that they do in the same way that companies have rights over the things that they've created. And that I think going forward is something to watch out for. It's certainly a messy issue because figuring out where the proper line should be drawn in that butting up of the property rights of companies over the things that they create and the rights of individuals to control um, the data that they generated and to still remain sovereign is, is not clear. And ultimately, I think that is something that we all need to be very conscious of going forward and something that um, hopefully companies will figure out if they're going to take seriously this role as purveyors of, of uh, value in the community.